My name is Andrew Armour and welcome to Six Before Breakfast, the ICD podcast. We're exploring the challenges and opportunities of those coaching and working with creative people and creative projects. And today we're going to be exploring uh, an interesting issue and that's the one of creative confidence. Where does it come from? How does it relate to talent? And how do we build it when we have doubts or nerves about what we do? It's an interesting topic. Uh, Ken Robertson talked about nurturing the confidence to try to be creative. Brené Brown simply says, in a quite blunt way, there are people who use their creativity and those that don't. Tom Kelly, the godfather of design thinking, he says that combination of thought and action defines creative confidence. The ability to come up with new ideas and then the courage to try them out. It's a fantastic topic. Today, I'm going to be exploring this with our guest, Tommy Ludgate from Brightly Imagine. Someone who has built a career as a creative and a performer who knows what it's like to be on stage and to work with those who want to or need to get on that stage. She's worked with the likes of Paloma Faith, Noel Gallagher and Paul Weller, but we're not going to be talking about any of that today. She's been a senior music lecturer at the biggest music school in Europe. Today, she specialises in coaching creative people at the end of this this session in our do three things we're going to have some tips and ideas for dealing with nerves and we'll be exploring with tommy how she works with creative people but first i want to say hello tommy hello tommy and welcome to six before breakfast thank you thanks for having me nice to have you here tommy now in a true coaching way i'm gonna have to put you on the spot and do the uh, three things that went well. It's one of the things I do in my practice. I always say that what three things went well last week can be personal, can be professional. Just to kick us off, what three things went well for you in the last week, Tommy? Oh, you are putting me on the spot. Well, I've just um, I've just had my branding redesigned, which I'm so excited about. It is full of colour brightness um, and creativity and starting to share that with people has felt like a massive success because I've had that's some a really good, great, that's number one. great that's feedback. First one. Part of that yeah. has always has also been sharing um, something new that I'm offering, which is called the Creatives Table, which is a monthly coaching group. And um, just from simply sharing the new branding, I've had some really great interest with that. Um, second one. Number three, having a nice breakaway in Filey by the sea in Yorkshire. Um, Excellent. Yeah, we did that at the weekend, so that was nice. That's interesting, isn't it? That, that break thing's interesting. We're, we're going to be talking about um, creative confidence and energy and things later. It's interesting about that need to take a break, isn't it? We'll talk about that later, maybe. I think it's, it's a very take... important part of the process, yeah. Yeah. So what I want to do first, Tommy, just to uh, get us started today... Um, you've got a fascinating story. I always uh, found your story fascinating, the work you've done, you know, proper, mu- proper music stuff. Um, how did you get started? Um, were you always going to be, were you, were you a young creative child or is this something yeah. that you grew into? <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny to ask the question, where did it all begin? It's like, how far back yeah. do you want to go? I actually just had several thoughts. And if I go back really early, it would be dancing to Michael Jackson as a three-year-old. Um, but apart from that, kind of as yeah, quite quite a young person, I made my own girl band in the in the school playground, which I think lots of people did. I think we were all dancing to the Spice Girls and deciding which one we were. But we went on to get a record deal at the age of about twelve. <laughs> um, so I had so much experience 
being on stage, being in the studio. Um, so yeah, it was very much kind of, that was the path I was on. It was never going to be anything else. Absolutely not. Did you have that confidence at that age then to get up on stage? Did, did you, I've seen you work with people and it is that, in, in one of your videos you say there are a lot of good singers who just, they can't get up on stage. Uh, it's mm. a very sad thing. But, but did, you, did you always have that ability to step up onto the stage? I think I was lucky to be encouraged at such a young age because as kids mm. we really do have less inhibitions and we're, we're less judgmental of ourselves, more free to be expressive. And so I suppose I was lucky that I was nurtured at that point in my life to be getting right. up on stage and having experiences that were most often really successful because I wasn't feeling so nervous. I did have the odd thing where I did feel really nervous and it didn't go so well, but that's all part of the experience. But yeah, I think starting from a young age set me kind of ahead of myself with my confidence. And what about the technical aspects? Um, and we're not going to go too much into the technical side today, but did, did you start to become technically into the music as a craft itself, that real flow state, the, the musicianship, the music theory and all that sort of stuff? Did you get into that quite young as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had I had piano lessons and singing lessons, so I was working on technique from quite a young age. So I suppose part of the confidence you have on stage as a singer is also having the ability, whether that's yeah. partly natural talent or the things that you've been building on um, technically. So I think, yeah, that probably put me in a good position to feel confident. And, and also I got over those kind of wobbly nerves where it used to make your voice wobble from, mm. from a young age. I remember um, wanting to put myself forward for a solo at school as part of a Christmas concert, I think it was, and I chickened out and I didn't. And I went home to my mum and said, oh, I didn't, I didn't say I wanted to do it, but I really do. And she said, go mm. back, go back and tell them you want to do one. And so I did uh, and got given mm. a different one. And I think having those kind of experiences where you realise, oh, I can do it. And then I got off on stage and I did it and got loads of great feedback that really built my confidence. That's fantastic. Again, we'll get into this sort of mysterious world of confidence in a minute. Um, you obviously had your uh, career as, um, I know you performed a lot, session singing and that sort of stuff. And then you got into, obviously, uh, teaching music at a high level at BIM, one of the biggest, uh, the biggest music school in Europe. Um, how did you get involved in that coaching, uh, that, that sort of more working with people rather than doing it yourself but helping others d do the creator how did that how did that change sort of work for you I think um it was quite a natural shift in my teaching and in the classroom because you're often demonstrating something if it's to do with okay we're going to try and sing this particular part this is how you do it but you realise yeah. that you need to nurture that in the student more than sh demonstrate or show it yourself. And so I was right. working with students to get them up on stage or to try something new, um, be in a group and share something very vulnerable in the group. So it's very much a natural part of the teaching experience was, mm. I suppose, coaching people to do their best or at least try when they were feeling really nervous or wobbly about it. Um, but my first kind of understanding of coaching rather than teaching, so the kind of development coaching was as part yeah. of um, a teaching qualification I did and learning just some of the really simple techniques and realising, oh, OK, I don't need to give all my creative energy to try and get this other person to move forward mm. in their 
in their process and their development, I need to get them to have the motivation to do it for themselves. And coaching is where that really came in. And I was very excited to be able to use that within a creative setting, because I think, yeah, all creatives can benefit from that sort of mindset coaching, confidence building um, and working towards moving forward with their progress coming from them rather than the teacher. How would you describe your, do you have an actual core sort of coaching philosophy? We talk about, you know, a coaching method or approach or school, if you like. What would be your underlying coaching philosophy when working with creative people, do you think? I think this is a really interesting question because my approach to singing technique was the same as my approach to coaching, which is there's not one way that I would stick with. I really enjoyed teaching singing, but picking up on different techniques rather than fitting to one kind of tick box approach in one area. It would always be the things that excited me or things that worked for me that I wanted to bring to the table for those students. And I'd say it's the same with coaching. It's rather than a method or a particular technique, it's the things, it's tools. It's the tools that I feel really work for creative thinkers and creative, um, the people that want to have a creative output. Um, so it's, yeah, it's okay. more about the tools and techniques I use rather than a set way so, or a set method. So, so is there a, a, is there a, when people come to you, well, first of all, let's explore what are the most, I've noticed in my coaching practice that uh, you can meet people from various industries and backgrounds but there are sort of common problems that people present with, common issues mm. that people present with, even though they're very different people, people from different countries. But do you find that there's a common uh, issue that creative people present you with, that come to you with, as, as a, I'm having difficulties with something? What does it tend to be? <laughs> confidence. Or maybe, is it really? <laughs> yes, it's always it? confidence. So um, I've, I've been running my coaching practice for just over three years. And when I first trained, it's like, okay, there's all these millions of things I could be doing with people. It could be really broad. I could potentially work with people from loads of different industries, but I wanted to be working with creatives. So over those three years, I've done market research to kind of pull out the things that people feel they get really stuck with. The three Mm. things that I think came out when I did the market research for the one-to-one work that I'm doing is confidence is number one, time and money. That's really interesting. Let's not talk about the money, that might come later. I want to talk (laughs) about time because, you know, that's one of the things that... uh, inevitably i find in my practice we talk about so i call it self-management because you can't manage time uh, what are the issues that creatives have with that time is it the late nights and early mornings is it the balancing the sort of the just not getting time to practice or is it that they don't manage their time well mm, probably all of them really but um i think people do feel the thing they think is the problem is they don't have enough time but like you say Time is time. It's how we use it. Everyone's got the same amount of time in every day. It it depends how efficient we are with that time or what we choose to mm. prioritise. So I think um, oh, it's. I think there are layers to it because I think yeah. time can be affected by our mm. mindset and what we believe we can achieve in a certain amount of time or what we think is good creative work and whether we finished or not. Um, there's there's yeah ah. there's many layers beneath. Well, there's just a, now. The, uh, there's a layer in there that I have to unpick with you, Tommy, as a as a musician and a creative yourself. Um, flow state. Um, 
I was amazed. I, I was a bit, I was telling someone earlier, I was talking to a musician about two years ago and they were saying that they were working on their mix at 2.30 in the morning and they were never happier. They were never happy. They'd been working on it for hours and hours. And in a way, I was, as not a creative myself, I felt slightly jealous. I thought, wow, imagine being so absorbed in something, that deep flow state. But I've got to ask a question about flow state. Um, is there a danger that it can be quite damaging to people when you're that deeply ingrained in your work? Or is it just that? Are you going to say, well, that's just inevitable. If you want to be creative, you're going to have to be that involved. I in think it's it's so interesting that you're seeing it as a potential negative because I'm flow, just raising it as a, as a no, challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, flow to me or like being in that flow state is, yeah. is that optimum place because it's so it feels so good. Um, like I can relate it to either songwriting or performing on stage. It doesn't necessarily mean that it takes a lot of time or you're, or you're stuck in a state. It's mm. to me, it's the place where it feels really easy and really good where yeah. I've started writing a song and it's almost as if I knew it already. And I'm like, kapow, there it is in five minutes. Like that has happened and it's felt amazing. Or I would think of flow state as, being on stage, not having the nerves, not overthinking things, being completely in the moment of what okay. I'm doing and being able to sing a new idea that's improvised in the moment that feels really good or be completely connected with the emotion of the song. So from my perspective, it, that's a mm. kind of good place to be. And it's not necessarily a long-winded place to be. <laughs> no, I think I think, I think uh, Mihaly Chishimihai, he talks about time when you're in that deep flow state as a sports person or a creative person he was saying that everything stands still it almost becomes i think you said it when you're on stage it's almost a very it's almost a calm place mm, very is, much that, in the, yeah very much in the moment of of that experience which is hard to get to right like how often we're thinking yeah. about what's next what have i got to do or what went wrong and what haven't i done actually just being in the moment of joy in a creative space, I would think is is optimum. That's a really good, interesting word, joy. We don't use that word very much in the world anymore. Hmm. I think some people try to. <laughs> do you think that's? Do you think that's what? When you work with creative people, then do you think um, is it because they want this fabulous career, or is it? Do you think it's that intrinsic, that intrinsic uh, drive in them to be a creative, to be a singer, an artist? a performer rather than the oh, I want a career yeah yeah that's an interesting one because creativity and the people I work with can be creativity because that's the joyful place to be that's where that yeah. person feels really good and it's what they're meant to be doing um yes or it's people that are earning a living or making a career out of their creativity which can feel a little bit heavier going because there's those kind of need need to do things or, you know, needing to earn money or needing to progress or whatever it might be. Um, mm. But I think... Oh, I've forgotten the question. No, it, it, was, it was that question of essentially... Um, it, 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 is someone is that is it all about intrinsic motivation or extrinsic I suppose that's the coaching element isn't it so uh, I, there's nothing wrong with extrinsic motivation it's nice to have a you know be rewarded to be as Picasso said the greatest compliment you can pay is to pay me for my creative work 
So it's, it's perfectly okay to want a career and to make money. Right. But is it actually is it actually deeper than that for a lot? Like, people still want to sing and perform even if they've got a nice, happy career and family life. It's intrinsic, isn't it? It is intrinsic. And I think that's what's at the heart of whether you're doing it for the joy of it or whether you're doing it as a career. It's, yeah. it's not a choice. It's who you are as a person. And from what I can tell with people I work with is they're the ones that decide to work with a coach on this are the ones yes. that can recognise that thing is what I want and I'm happy to go for it and commit to it and figure out the best way forward with it rather than ignore it. Because how often do we hear of people maybe doing a job or career because they feel like they should be, but they're not happy because they're missing out on that creative aspect of themselves or that quality in themselves? It's an interesting point, Tommy, but let's explore that issue of the what goes on in life outside the creative work. Uh, and what I mean by that uh, is that, let, to be as blunt as possible... Sometimes being a creative, working in the creative industries is not always the most balanced. It's not always, let's be be fair, the healthiest. Uh, There can be late nights. There can be lots of, you know, drinks and other things. There can be lots of early mornings. It can be quite stressful on your body and those around you if you're coming and going all sorts of day and night. Do do you think that's that's a part of that pressure for creatives is that the lifestyle is not always nine to five and nice and easy? There's a holistic thing to bear in mind here. (laughs) Yeah, but isn't there always? So when you said (laughs) the nine to five is nice and easy, I'm like, no, it's not. I wouldn't want to be doing that. Um, Fair point. I think... I think you're right, though. Yes, it's holistic. I think we should, but my, I suppose my point is we should always be thinking of ourselves as a whole yeah. being that needs a balance between, um, yeah, healthy, thinking about mental well-being. Yes. Um, and all of that side of things will then feed into how well our brain can work to do the work, whether it's creative or not. It's it's irrelevant. But, yeah, it's definitely something that I, I speak to with clients about, um there's no way that someone can come and work with me one-to-one and only talk about the creative work. It's right. very much about the whole person, what they're doing around the, the time mm-hmm. that they're working. It's not just that that um, output part right. of the phase. And I actually uh, designed a course last year called Unlock Your Creative Process, which is all about the creative process and the different stages. And we talk about mindset and we talk about inspiration Mm. and see like how we fill up that energy and 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 absorb inspiration to then be able to put the work back out um Mm. but then also looking at habits and the rituals and routines in our day that are going to make us the most productive not necessarily it doesn't have to be working all the time um or or being up late or early mornings i suppose Mm. it's looking at how can you create the same work but in a way that is balanced for you Let, let's explore that because i think this is obviously my my topics are things like habits and behavior and things what, what are the sort of uh, what are the sort of the useful habits if, if you are uh, uh, working with a young creative or a, or a middle-aged creative what are the sort of <laughs> habits that you will often suggest perhaps in a mentoring sense say have you tried doing this what are the common ones that you can see work for people in terms of habits and behaviors I think it's more a theme or an idea around creating space. Um, we feel like we should be doing, like doing uh. equals an output. Um, 
being at the laptop means that we're working hard you know being busy and taking action mm. is is effective but actually people find it so hard to take space and time for themselves but having done it myself and trying to do that as a creative person that's what I always try and share is like, okay what other things can you do that are gonna fill up your creative cup so it mm. might be going for a walk or having a nap or um going to see something that inspires you or that you love or visiting a place that you really like all the things that feel like something I suppose something for the weekend that we would do in our personal time but actually I think I believe is integral to a successful creative practice that's interesting isn't it, uh, it this is a common thread I'm hearing from a lot of in a lot of coaching and uh, positive psychology areas at the moment is it's such a simple thing across so many philosophies and that is uh, space and stopping mm. especially in today's uh, dare i say hectic digital world um do you think it's harder for creators because there's the pressure to always be on digital platforms media social media does that actually make it even busier and even less time to have space to think and to just to be yeah definitely I think it's not only that you're busying your brain, it's also what you're filling it with. So very right. common part of social media is the comparison to others in your field. Oh, that person's done that great achievement. I should be trying to do that. And it, it just completely throws you off your game and what you're yeah. trying to focus on. Um, so, I mean, that's a, it feels like a really simple, obvious thing is to have time away from those platforms. Yeah. And I found that the end of the year is a period where I kind of switch off and totally replenish. So like December for me is quite quiet. Actually, December into January is quite a quiet time in mm. music. It's quite a quiet time um, for this coaching type of work. And I've had re really long stints completely away from social media. And I come back with so many more creative ideas mm. and confidence in what I'm doing and clarity on what I want to be doing. So I think breaks away from those things that feel like they get in your way mentally should kind of be planned in across the year. I, th um, I, think, I think a lot yeah. of these things, well, Tom, just on that point, a lot of these behaviours, I think they become uh, automatic. We don't, act, we're not actually consciously doing them. And that was a bit yeah. of a, for my own, when I was coaching myself in my training, that was the thing that was, was quite scary is how much I was just automatically doing things. Yeah, was, well, look, it's funny you say that. Sorry? I um, used to I used to ban phones in my classroom. So when I when I am teaching a group of people, because especially younger generations are just it's automatic. It's like the phone is attached to their thumb, and before they know it, they're on a social media platform. You're like, what are you doing? Oh, well, sorry, I just did that without even thinking, which is mm. scary. Um, but it's not just social media. I think it's. Uh, you know, running a business for me, there's, yes. there are a million things that I could be doing all the time. I could be networking more. I could be building something more new ideas. I constantly have new ideas, which is obviously a great thing, but also can be quite a busy thing in your brain. So being able to just kind of <laughs> section things off and prioritize, yeah. I think is a really important skill it's, to have. It's almost a quite, um, it's a bit paradoxical, isn't it? It's sometimes by, the, 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 the old rule in, in marketing is, you know, is the good things happen when we narrow the focus. In other words, stop doing the rubbish stuff. Stop mm. doing, stop trying to be busy and focus on what needs to be done. 
And and I, I found it quite odd myself, just as a reflection on this, is that by actually paring down what I did, I was more effective rather yeah. than trying to do everything. Yeah, 100%. And I found I've had a big shift in that sense on a, in my personal life because I've had a child a few years ago. <laughs> and having that means I work three days a week now. And on two of those days, I have to pick him up from nursery in the middle of the afternoon. So, And I'm still really effective and yeah. productive in the time that I have. So I think we can easily fill, we'll fill the time we have. I think, but the opposite is like, okay, I've got three days a week. How can I do less in those three days? and still have time for that space that I was talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how much you can do in an effective and that really focused 20 to 40 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but proper work, rather mm-hmm. than spending hours getting distracted. And that's been a learning for me, especially studying and running a business, etc. I want to come on to, however, it relates, all these things relate, obviously, but it's a real hot topic for you. It relates to, conf- it relates to flow state, it relates to how you manage your time, and it's that confidence. And it was interesting that that was the first one you said, you know, the, um, mm. the confidence. Um, it, and it's a fascinating one. Where, where does true confidence, starting off, where does true confidence come from? Is it just being talented or is it deeper than that? I don't think it's talent at all. Right. Because actually someone can be confident and not be very good at something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Um, I mean, there's this, you know, it's a scale, isn't it, of what we deem as good or bad yeah. or in between. But I think it's very much, um, it's another habit. It's a habit. It's, we're not born confident. Um, we're probably born more confident than we are as adults, like we were saying earlier about being a kid and being quite yeah. free and not having those inhibitions. But yeah, I think it's more about it being a habit and something that you practice um and do regularly I think there are things that get in the way of us being confident and that's where the coaching work comes in for me with clients is there there will often be very similar things between people you'd think that everyone's confidence issues would be quite different but they're not (laughs) Um, what are the common ones that get in the way then as you say um, I think it's the the things that we tend to have in our way as humans, which is critical thought. So that inner critic voice that's constantly right. designed to keep us safe, but is actually getting in the way of us moving forward with something. Um, and under the same sort of idea, the, the kind of limiting thoughts that we have around what we are able to do or imposter syndrome. So all of yeah. those sorts of things the things that come up with clients time and again. And I find myself thinking, surely I need to pull out some other tools or techniques out of the bag for these people that I'm working with. But actually, no, we're back to the same thing. And there's just those common threads that run through. That, that, that one in, we're that, also similar. That, 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 that imposter syndrome comes up a lot, doesn't it? People feeling that they're not yeah. quite, that they don't deserve to be praised, don't deserve to be well rewarded or to be good at what they do how do you overcome that because it's i got asked about this and i've, I've studied it but i'm curious mm-hmm. to see in in your world how do you cope with a creative who says i i don't feel i'm i deserve this to be praised or to be good or whatever the thing that seems to most commonly help is to reflect back and i do a couple of different um exercises with people around either looking back across your career and the successes you've had 
um, and what it is that you brought to that situation. So what are the skills and qualities that you brought to that situation? And it's all about building up proof or put, I call it a creativity portfolio, like a portfolio of evidence to say that mm. you are a successful creative. And that really does build confidence. So whether it's reflecting back that far or it's having a, um, a frequent reflective practice that you're looking back over the, say, the last three months. Okay, what are the tiny little things that I've managed to achieve in my business or my creativity that prove to me that I'm not just, uh, you know, a fake or a fraud? That's interesting. And so cause that, that reflects a lot of the work in the field of positive psychology. You know, the, the positive psychology talks about... Um, uh, achievements but it's small achievements it's sometimes it, 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 the, the, the view seems that we, we we sometimes want to be super successful super uh, everything but of course in in positive psychology they talk about lots of it's the what went well isn't it it's the little things mm. that, and being reminding ourselves of that so presumably but you're saying that it's also looking back on a long how far back would you you people go back a few years in their career long like well it depends what age you are doesn't it but yeah. it can be as long as you want and what's interesting is that's an exercise that's done physically so you stand up and you walk oh. along the timeline and the things that people remember is incredible because it's all stuff we forget that we've done and it's like yeah. oh yeah that happened and I felt this way and it was amazing because of this and I collaborated with that person or you know it's there's so many memories that you've forgotten and if we can be in that place more often the confidence comes without us having to think about it. Whereas if we're right. allowing ourselves to be in the mindset of, okay, I've got this long to-do list, not enough time. I'm never going to achieve all the things I want. If only I could just achieve that thing, then I'd feel happy and joyful. You know, it's that constant, like, chasing something. We're not going to have that confidence because we're, we're constantly on the back foot in our minds. How do you balance that? Uh, when I worked in advertising and tv and things is the constant rehearsals and editing and re-editing things because it's not that you're after perfection but you're after improvement in a creative sense how do you how do you get that balance right between wanting to do another recording or do another just practice it one more time and when you say no that, that that's okay that that's as good as it as good as it can get how do you get that balance right hmm. i was just thinking feedback like oh, share okay. something, share the work. Um, Seth Godin talks about this. He's got a book called The Practice and I love his quite mm. <laughs> direct approach to creativity <laughs> where it's like, I think he says ship, shipping the work. So it's about yeah, he does, yeah. getting it done and sharing it with someone um, because so often you'll get that great feedback or someone will pick up on a small detail that you hadn't really thought much about and they really enjoyed that part of it. And getting that feedback is... Um, confidence boosting right. but also you can gauge where you're at with something does it need more work is it done but yeah. then my hmm at the beginning of that answer was also when it comes to creative work it's a tricky balance because often if you share something too soon and you haven't quite dis made the decisions on something so I think you know my experience of making music I might share something in its early stages and someone's got all the opinions 
that aren't helpful and it throws you off the choices you were maybe going to make anyway. Or like my brand design that I've just had done is a really good example. Mm. I worked with a designer who was amazing and she really got my vision, but I didn't share it with anyone. I didn't show my husband. I didn't show my mom. I was like, I don't want anyone to tell me, oh, I like that, but I don't like that. It's like, no, I'm making the creative decisions on this. And it, was, it went really well because of it. That's about. Is that because you know your own, you know yourself, and your own mind? You've got. Is that to do with that confidence that you know what you want? Confidence that I know what I want, and I suppose learning from experience that when I have shared creative things before, it's effective. My affected my confidence mentally. Oh, I see. So I'd think, oh well, if they think that, maybe everyone will think that, and I'll change it. Or working with musicians on my original music and people saying what about this or let's change this and me thinking yeah okay just change it maybe i don't really know what's best it's like no i do know what's best i wrote the song yeah so that that's another aspect of that confidence is 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 it's 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 not just just your your ability to to know what you want to do creatively but how you want to do it and this is this is my work this is my work and it's my i'm in control of it yeah yeah being in control of it and and practicing uh, making your own choices, practicing trusting your gut instinct on something. Mm. Um, because, you know, creative creativity, creative work is coming from each individual person because they are that person and they've had those experiences. Yeah. There's no point in it being kind of flooded with other people's ideas or watered down or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, and that's we're going to come on in a couple, uh, in another podcast. We might get you back. We're going to talk about teamwork and how do you work in a in a creative, obviously in music, a group or an orchestra or a quintet or a quartet, um, but in a in a commercial sense in a creative team, which is a different dynamic, isn't it? So you've worked with groups and things. Uh, is is it's it, it, it a has that been? We'll just explore that a little bit. Um, are you have you learned have you had to learn how to work creatively with other creative people is that something a discipline that you've had to learn it's hard to say because i suppose part of my creative work has always been collaborative yeah and on the flip side of everything i was just saying i believe collaboration is amazing as well but i suppose it depends what the project is yeah so um this makes me think of a songwriting camp i used to run uh, where I brought together nine songwriters for a few days working together. And interestingly, so many people would come to that with the view that they couldn't collaborate because they'd never oh. done it. So they were very nervous about um, working in, a, I suppose, a team and working together. Yeah. And people struggling sometimes because they were so used to creating on their own that they really wanted to follow their choices. And if someone mm. said, oh, no, I don't like that, It'd be interesting to see how that dynamic played out. But equally often, everyone would get there, work in the groups. We used to rotate between, so everyone kind of collaborated in a different mix of people. And the output was amazing. Amazing songs, high volume of output, um, no distractions. So it's really interesting the kind of ah. environment that we were in. There wasn't really internet. We were in the middle of nowhere in the Lake District um so that space and that piece was built into the design of what the camp was um and yeah it was it was really successful that's almost a collect that's almost a collective flow state like group yes. flow state <laughs> yeah and but some sessions wouldn't work out so well and we were only together for two or three hours at a time uh sometimes you'd get you know 
an intro or a set of chords and sometimes you get a whole song it just depended on the moment i suppose it's a big thing isn't it in creativity that you've got to make mistakes you've got to have things that haven't go wrong you've got to have things to go wrong to get the things to go right and yeah and I, I think that's part of the confidence story as well is you see people doing well and you assume that they're always confident and they're always successful yes. that's not true it's probably the people that are showing up to make the mistakes that are gaining more confidence in what they're doing. I've had some terrible times, like the the worst ever performance I had on stage was at school where everyone knew me as the singer and we had 24 hours to prepare for a performance. It was called the 24 hour variety show. No one spent 24 hours. Everyone prepared ages in advance, but we got cocky. And one time we only did it in 24 hours and I stood on stage and I forgot the lyrics and just stood there and couldn't get myself back on track. Mortifying. But I'll never do that again. That's it's such. It's so nice that um, that you can. I think to be a creative coach, to be a coach, you've got to have that ability to reflect back on yourself. In a way, it's nice if you'd said that all your singing had been perfect and all your <laughs> that would have been all. In a way, it's nice because when you hear someone say that that they froze on stage, you've got an empathy. You understand mm. what that feels like. Right. And also I learned nothing. It wasn't the absolute end of the world. It was pretty terrible for a few days and I, I felt embarrassed and, you know, shame. But actually, if I hadn't ever got on stage again, that would have been awful to be able to then be like, OK, it happened. Oh, well, then I learned to get on stage, do it again. I learned how to deal with forgetting lyrics and I could make things up or keep singing a bit of the melody to get me to the next bit. You learn how to manage right. those moments of failure. That's really interesting. I'm going to come on to our do three things, which is our final lap today. Uh, we always have our do three things. Um, and for someone like you who's been on stage, you've stood up in front of the lights, you've stood out with some work, sung with some famous, very famous people. Um, it's that issue of nerves and, and being a, a singer, obviously, if you're, I think if you're too nervous, your voice won't sound right. So I presume you must have some... I'm hoping that you've got some help. I'm not a singer. And lots of people who listen to this may not be singers, but we often get nervous in going into meetings or presenting, mm-hmm. presenting in front of our peers in a seminar or work. We get nervous and we get butterflies mm. and sweaty. So I'm hoping that you've got some uh, three things. Um, what can we do to stop that sense of nervousness and almost, I don't want to do this and I can't do it? Are there any tricks yeah. of the trade that you can share with us? Um, I've got I've got three tips, but actually before even going into those, I would encourage you to think of nervousness as excitement, just as a way of reframing um, that energy because they're a similar energy in your body. So thinking about can you think of being excited about the situation you're going into? And I'm glad that you said it's not just for those people who are maybe doing some big performance. This could be in any setting, like Mm. having a conversation with someone, not necessarily a meeting where you're presenting. I think for me now as a coach, even working with someone one-to-one or going into something where I'm hosting something, these same three tips would apply. So... The first one would be breathing. We all breathe every day to stay alive, but something that will calm down that nervous system when we're feeling that energy is breathing. There's a really easy uh, breathing exercise you can do called the 7-11 exercise. You're breathing in for seven beats, breathing out for 11 beats, and it really slows the heart rate and that nervous energy should dissipate with that 
tip number one. Good. Like tip this. number two would be to prepare but leave space. So be prepared, but don't be preparing up until the very last minute. Ah. I suppose that one is about figuring out what works for you. But if I was sitting backstage before a performance, going through my lyrics, thinking about what I had in each song, where were the high notes, that would create that nervous energy. So it's like, okay, do my practice. But when I get to the venue, it's happening. So do my breathing exercise. Maybe I'm doing some warm ups, but not that kind of checking all the details, going through every pointer. Um, And the same for a meeting. If you've done a slide deck, you know, talk your way through it, but then leave yourself half an hour, an hour before the session. Just uh, that means then you've got to be prepared a day, two days in advance. You've got to do your timings and your prep right. Yes, because you need to sleep on it, I think. When I forgot those lyrics on stage, like I said, I did it 24 hours before. I had one sleep, but I didn't fully know the lyrics. I need to know the lyrics a week in advance and have a good few sleeps of it (laughs) settling into my system. Yes, the same thing for any content that you're sharing or whether it is it might be an interview or anything Mm. like that do the preparation ahead of time i think and have a good at least one sleep on it um and number three is think ahead this is not about before the meeting or before the performance. This is in the moment of your delivery of something. Yeah. So this might not apply to a conversation with someone, but when I think of being on stage, rather than being right in the moment, I try to be one step ahead of myself. Ooh, so I know what okay. I know what line is coming next or I know what section of the song is coming next. And that way if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter, you let it go and you're on to the next thing. So I don't know, where would that be? Where? How can you apply that to your your own situation? Can you think of a scenario where you're delivering no, something? No, d- definitely in presentations and things, absolutely. If you're doing a pitch or a presentation, right. absolutely. There's no way you are in a structure. I always talk about structures. And so mm-hmm. no, right, I'm, I'm in the second bit. I've now got the, the finish coming up or whatever. I think that's a really smart way. So it's almost, we often tell you know, people are presenting just to have some little post-it notes around the desk just so they know where they are. But you're right, yeah. is knowing, so, so it, yeah, I would say that in, in the, the world, the work I do, it's knowing where you are, I think. So yeah. being in the moment, but knowing where you are in the, in the work. Right. And if you were delivering slides, you might yes. have a, a note about the next slide Correct. on your presentation notes. Yeah. So. It gives you that confidence. You can't lose your way then. You're delivering something. But sometimes we get that moment where we're slightly flustered and you think, oh, where am I? If you know what's coming next, it's like, okay, even if I've had a little flustered moment, I can get back on track because I know the thing that's coming next. There's a couple of brilliant things. I just want to mirror back to you there because some of them are fantastic. I think the first one, I've heard this with sports people as well, is the nerves um, and the excitement thing. That's such a, a valuable thing from today tommy you're right it, it, it it's just changing it's changing the way you're framing it from being nervous about something to being i'm energized of course i'm feeling a little edgy because i'm about to perform mm. i've heard i spoke i've met a couple of famous sports people and they say exactly the same thing they say well of course but it's, yeah. it's what you need to perform yeah anytime i've not been nervous i've had a less successful performance so I now know from experience, having that energy there is like, okay, that's good. That'll keep me focused wow. and enjoying the experience. 
it's in today's world where so many people report anxiety, stress, you know, feeling uh, mentally uh, uncomfortable. I think this is such a valuable point, Tommy, is that sometimes that little bit of an edge gives us an edge in life. <laughs> Do you know that what I mean? That little bit of an edge gives us yeah, an edge. That's it a does. great phrase. But it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gives us that. If it, Otherwise, we, we, we don't have that energy, that drive to say, no, I have to, I, I have to do this now. Uh, and I think it's interesting that the more you get involved in those things, the more you realise. I think the first time I ever did a, a lecture at BIM, it was very nerve wracking. But after mm-hmm. you've done about 150 of them, it becomes quite normal. Yeah. But, it, but it's natural to feel uncomfortable. It, mm. it, it's what I often talk about is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, mm. and, it, and I know it's difficult for a lot of people. Uh, the other one mm. that I really liked that you said which uh, I, I completely um, uh, get is you have to know you have to know your material you have to know what you're doing. Mm. Uh, I, I could not give a lecture on women's fashion. You know, I don't know anything about women's clothes or fashion. It, it would be it, no matter it, it, no matter how confident I am, as you would say, it'd be someone who's confident who doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm. And, and and then the value you're giving is not good, right? No. So, and and it's also recognizing that the confidence comes from that preparation. Yeah. Because if you know it, you know it. There's the confidence. There you go. If you know it, you know it. There's the confidence. What a brilliant thing to end, Tommy. Thank you so much. I would love to get you back again on another uh, Six Before Breakfast. I think we'd love to talk to you about working with teams and groups and things. And I think I'm sure we'll get you talking to Anthony about the more holistic mind body thing as well i'd love to hear yeah, you great. talk more about that thank you so much tommy have a great day and thank a great you. week and we'll see you again you soon too. take care thank you. Bye-bye. bye bye thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed the conversation if you make a living by being creative and talented or manage and coach those who do then join our community of interest to see and hear more from like-minded people and meet some friends you might not yet know The ICD supports the development of more caring, relevant and effective coaching and mentoring for everyone who works in the creative industries. To stay part of the conversation, you can visit us online at our LinkedIn group and Facebook page or listen to more episodes from the Six Before Breakfast podcast.